So we're going to do two parts here today, and I am going to turn around because I haven't, um, yeah. So we've been going through the book of Revelation. Have you enjoyed it so far? Hey, have you learned something? Have you been inspired by something? You have. Good. Well, what I'm going to do quickly is I'm going to just quickly do a summary of what we've done from the beginning. So if you've, uh, if you've missed anything, here's what it is, all right, from the book of Revelation. So chapter 1 uh, gave us the introduction for uh, Revelation, and first thing that we saw was it introduced the Trinity, particularly. Uh, the purpose was the encouragement of the saints, and it says that you'll be blessed if you read this book. So a lot of times, because of the fact that we don't know much about the book of Revelation, we tend to leave it behind and say, well, you know, I don't know what's going on, so I don't read it. But basically what it says there is that if you read it, you're going to be encouraged. Irrespective of whether you completely understand it or not, you will be encouraged. It was given by the Father to Jesus to reveal. We spoke about authority. And then it was revealed by a resurrected and exalted Jesus, which we saw was in the form of he saw standing before him Jesus in a different form than he was used to before. The key learning point in this is the purpose of picture and prophecy. And that's a key thing in the book of Revelation. So I'm going to highlight it again right now. What I mean by that is that when John was, in, John was seeing this, this revelation, he saw Jesus and he saw him with hair white as wool, all right, shining in brilliant sunlight um, with robes of white with a golden sash across his chest, eyes of fire and then uh, legs of bronze. And now we know that that is a picture of Jesus, but we don't always see Jesus like that in the book of Revelation. Later on in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 5, we see Jesus symbolically represented as a lamb that was slain as if it was slain from the foundation of the world. So we know that the picture is representing something of Jesus. Very, very important point. That key learning point for the rest of the book of Revelation is very important because a lot of people who try to interpret Revelation often take things too literally or too figuratively. So some people, it's too figurative and they say, well, you can't understand Revelation. Other, ones, other people take it too literally and then they misinterpret the book of Revelation. So very key learning point. That's chapter 1. We go on to chapter 2. And chapter 2 and 3 led us to the seven churches in the seven cities. We saw that. That's chapter 2 and 3. Then the next chapter, chapter 4, is about the throne room of the Father. All right? And then chapter 5 is about the throne room, the throne of the Son. And that we see in chapter 5. Chapter 4 and 5, probably the most, in my mind, important two uh, chapters in the whole of the book of Revelation. In that it centers on centers on the protocol of actual worship and the focus on the Father and the focus on the Son. So we saw that in chapter 5. Then we moved on. We went on to chapter 6 and we saw the six seals. Now that got exciting because we started to see the revelation of the last 2,000 years. And those six seals that we see over there the one was missing, which we'll speak about, well, I'll share something on it today, was a, a silence, which was in 8.1. But that's the sequence of events. And, and what I shared with you was that uh, most people see the six seals, they think it's like a short space of time at the end of history. Uh, it actually, in my understanding, is that actually this is a, a, a representation of the full gambit of history up until this point. And that a lot of times in the book of Revelation, actually, there's not very clear pinpoints of when Jesus is returning. But we find in Jesus prophesying, and that gives us a more accurate value in terms of when he will return. But six, the sign of the Lord's return, you must remember that. Because that's going to be an important uh, uh, thing in, the re in, in what we interpret in the rest of the book of Revelation. So we saw that. Uh, if you need... To help, you can go onto the website, we'll, the, the sermons are there. So, And then the next one we saw, which was Revelation 7, that's one we did last time, not last week, last time, we spoke about the two olive trees. Okay, two olive trees, spoken about in Zechariah 4, verse 1 to 3, which speaks about the Jewish people and the church. All right, hey, you've gone through it very quickly. All right, and what we said about the Jewish people is that they were sealed, remember? They were sealed. And 
again, my interpretation, then we see the, the Jewish people, 144,000. We see them sealed. And then we see the great multitude in heaven of every tribe, tongue, and nation. And we realize that there's two groupings of people here. One represents the Jewish people, God's intended work with them still current today in history. And then the church, two different purposes that God has got for them. And the reason why the Jewish people had to be sealed, in my opinion, as I said, my opinion, I'll tell you when it's my opinion, not exact, is that they needed to be sealed because the believers, the church, are already sealed with the Holy Spirit. So these are not representative, in my mind, necessarily of people that know Jesus Christ. But we know that they had to be sealed because otherwise, if those people were not sealed, if the Jews were not sealed, they would have been destroyed. No, no grouping of people can exist outside of its country in the last 2,000 years. It is not possible. And so had there not been a seal upon Jewish people, I believe, of protection, the Jewish nation would have been wiped out as soon as they were taken out of their land. All right? There's a, it's just not, there's no other nation ever that survived even a couple of hundred years outside their nation and been able to survive. So there had to be a, a, a sealing by God. And that's what I believe the seals were about. Good. Have you learned something? Maybe you haven't interpreted Revelation this way before. That's okay. No problem. As I said, some of the stuff is actually subject to interpretation. Some of it is actually not subject to interpretation. It's, it's fairly accurate. All right. But what we know with the symbols, one of the things about the symbols of time, just while I'm getting to my next presentation, uh, one of the things that we know about the symbols of time, and I think that this is the mo also a very important thing in the book of Revelation, we know that there weren't seven churches, or more than seven churches. So whenever we see figures in the, in the book of Revelation, we must be very careful not to so necessarily associate them with, okay, that's the exact time. Because that's what a lot of people do. Well, it, okay, there's three and a half years, the beast's going to rule for three and a half years. It's not that easy to interpret that way. All right, because of the fact that figures, as we see in the book of Revelation, are not always representative of an exact epoch of time, but actually representative of the number seven, which is a completion of God. We know it's God because it's seven. Does that make sense? If it doesn't, you can come speak to me afterwards and I can help you. All right, now we move on to Revelation 8. And Revelation 8, remember Revelation is the revelation of Jesus, Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must take place. That's the purpose of the book of Revelation. So the purpose of the book of Revelation is to actually unfold to his servant some of the things that are going to be taking place over the course of the next 2,000 years. A lot of people at that time thought it was the next 50 years. Then they probably thought that they were in the time. And then as the time moved, upon, moved, moved further upon, and then the church became the institutionalized church, that became very destructive because their theology changed regarding Revelation. And in essence, they saw themselves as actually replacing the rule of Christ on earth instead of understanding that the rule of Christ was still to come. All right, so we must understand the book of Revelation. It can be understood and it can be interpreted. Some of it we can be clear to understand what it's saying and what these events point to. But like I said... The most important thing about predictive, predictive Scripture is that it is actually not so that we can say, wow, I interpreted that so accurately because we know that the whole of the Old Testament predicted Jesus' coming, but nobody really could actually see it. All right, But as soon as Jesus revealed it, then everybody says, wow, that's amazing. Remember the, those disciples on the way to the Emmaus Road? They're going along, and then Jesus starts to unfold why these things must take place. And they say, wow, that is amazing. So what happens when that happens is that the glory goes to God. It doesn't go to the person actually predicting it. So a lot of prophecy is actually there so that it's an affirmation that when it comes to be, that God is in control. It's not about our ability to accurately Find out the exact time and say, wow, you know, look at that. And a lot of people are caught up in this whole thing of trying to, uh, and that's really about man. It's not about God. 
And revelation is about Christ. Christ is the one glorified, not the person that's trying to interpret the exact time and place. Very important to understand that when looking at the book of Revelation and when hearing other people speak about the book of Revelation. Does it make sense? Good. Well, let's move on. We're in Revelation 8 now. So let's go to the seventh seal. The seventh seal is Revelation 8 verses 1, and it says this, When the land opened the seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Okay? Now many have attempted to interpret what the silence is, but no one could be definitive as to its exact meaning. But here are my thoughts anyway, and these are my thoughts. Okay? As I said to you, I'll give you what I believe is 100% accurate and what is my thoughts. This is my thought. Seven, seven, the number seven represents the rest and finished work of God, always. So throughout, six days he worked, the seventh day he rested, okay, in the order of creation. So throughout the whole of, whenever we see number seven, it, it communicates something to us about the rest and finished work of God, all right? It's the finished work of God, all right? So it's something to remember. The silence in heaven is a pause that I believe precedes the inauguration of Jesus and the wedding of the Lamb. That's what I believe it is. I believe it's a pause, a, a completion of something that is gone and the beginning of something that is to come. All right? Uh, so I don't believe it is that silence is... I, I mean, I, I, I thought... I, this is my interpretation. Remember... I don't believe that the silence in heaven is because, okay, now things are going to happen that are going to be dramatic on earth from fury and fire coming. I actually believe that the seventh seal is the completion. All right? Now, we said the sixth seal is when Jesus returns. That's clear. I mean, I, t I showed you. You know, you can't read it any other way. The sixth seal is when Jesus returns. The seventh seal is the completion of one, and it's actually moving into the next era. That's my thought on it. Something to remember, which is important, all right? One must ask the question, why is Revelation 8.1 found in Revelation 8.1 at the beginning of the next chapter instead of with the other, other scriptures in the previous one? Why was it not seven seals in, the, in chapter 7? Why did they do six? Well, the book of Revelation was not divided into the chapters as we know today. So in my opinion, simple humble, humble opinion, this verse should not have been included this verse should not have been included in this chapter but should have been in the previous chapter. And this is not saying okay well Kirk why are you saying that? The fact is is that there weren't chapter and verses in when the, when the Bible was first written. Okay? So it only these chapter and verses only came about probably in the sort of 1,000, 1,300, round about there, just so that people could access the Bible more quickly, all right? So where that key is makes no difference. So if I say, well, I don't believe it should be in this chapter, it doesn't make any difference to the interpretation of it. But what I, I and it to me makes more logical sense that this should be in the previous chapter or the previous compartment, all right? So it makes more logical sense to keep all the seals together, firstly. Chapter 7 begins with a similar introductory statement as chapter 8, verse 2. So in chapter 7, it says, Then I saw this. After this, I saw this. In chapter 8, verse 2, not 8, verse 1, it says, Then I saw this. It's sort of a, okay, this is what I see. Something different. So that's why I believe it should be in the previous chapter. By including this verse in chapter 8, and this is where the problem is, I believe. It can lead the reader into assuming that the trumpets, which this Revelation 8 is about, all right, the trumpets that are coming are actually just come after the seals. Okay? So that, the, that this is an introduction. That means that, and I'm not saying is that what it says, but one can assume, and a lot of people have said that. A lot of people said, okay, this is, there's silence in heaven, and now comes the trumpets. It's not so. All right? And that's because it's been included in this chapter. So that's my thought on this. So it forces an interpretation 
which may not necessarily be there. All right? It forces that interpretation upon somebody. Remember, as I said, this is my opinion. It no, has no bearing on any accuracy whether this is in Revelation 8.1 or whether it's in the previous chapter. There's no, it's, we're not saying that the, it, it's just that when you read it, so for, for you when you read it, what is happening is that you are reading it in a way that somebody has ordered it for you, okay, which wasn't there originally. All right, does that make sense? Okay, and we'll get into a little bit more of how that works in a little while. So Revelation 8.2 says, Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Okay? So that's what he sees. You see the silence in heaven, and then he sees these seven angels. Here's, here we see how including the seventh seal into this chapter has a bearing on the interpretation. All right? It's easy to assume because of the chapter and verse structure that these seven angels blow the trumpet after the completion of the seven seals. And some people interpret it that way. And to me, that causes a problem. All right? So you can see that that's why it's important that we understand that there were not these segments in the Bible. All right? So, now why did I... Oh, oh sorry. I went to the next verse. Is that where we are? Yeah. Okay. So it's easy to assume... Let me try to give you an explanation like this. This will help in actually the way we read the book of Revelation. All right? The revelation given to John is given to him in compartments. Okay? While what is in those compartments is sequential, the compartments themselves are not necessarily sequential. Okay? So you've got the seven seals. That's sequential. Okay? You've got the seven trumpets. Sequential. But the seven seals compartment and the seven trumpets compartment are not necessarily sequential. And we'll see that throughout the book because it's not only the seals and the trumpets. There's other certain portions within the book of Revelation that come later that actually we know are speaking about what is now history. All right? So that's how the revelation comes. It doesn't come like, okay, I'm going to show you a sequence of events. He says, I'm going to, okay, I, I, this is what I saw. I saw the seven seals. Do, 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 do. Okay? And now, again, now let's go to another picture. So it's not like a movie. It's like, okay, now I'm going to show you another picture. Okay? Here's one movie. Now I'm going to show you another one. So, it's, so you understand that. So you're getting it in different compartments. That's very important to know in interpreting the book of Revelation. All right. So, so those two compartments, the seals and trumpets, could happen in the same block of time or at the end of the same block of time, and it's more likely what is going to happen. And I'll share with you next week the trumpets, not this week. All right? Because there's something before the trumpets. Okay? Okay, so why do I say this? Because the Bible tells us that Christ returns at the final trumpet, which also corresponds to the sixth seal. So now, the, the fact that Jesus returns at the last trumpet is not just in the book of Revelation, but is also throughout the, throughout the, the course of, of the New Testament. At the final trumpet, Jesus returns. But we know that the sixth seal is when Jesus returns. So we know that the final trumpet, the seventh trumpet, and the sixth seal correspond in terms of time. Does that make sense? Ah, some of you are wondering because you've heard other things. You've heard other things. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus returns at the sixth seal. That cannot be disputed. That's fact. All right? We know that the final trumpet generally speaks about the return of Christ. So guess where they land? But we'll get to there. That just gives you something to chew on. Okay. Well, because, okay. And I'll show you how that works next week. But for, the, for now, that just gives you a little, bit an, a little bit of insight in terms of the way we interpret the book of Revelation so that it can actually be helpful to us. Uh, a lot of times we're so in, 
in focused on trying to interpret the signs of our own time that we miss the great blessing of the book itself. All right, let's move on. So the next one we see. So he sees these seven angels with seven trumpets, and then he moves to this another angel, came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and there was given, was given much incense to offer. All right? Wow. That's like, so here we see. See, this has got nothing to do with the timeline of God. It's got something to do with a, a, a compartment, we, another compartment, another angel. So he sees the seven angels with the seven trumpets, and then all of a sudden, oh, now I see another angel as well with this golden censer. All right? That's what he sees. The burning of incense was introduced to the Israelites under the command of the Lord in the temple. Okay? If you read uh, in the temple system, they had to offer up incense. That's what was commanded by the Lord. Its composition, found in Exodus 33, the Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices, stacta and onica and galbanum, sweet spices with pure frankincense. Of each shall there be an equal part. Very specific that there was an order that nobody could copy the incense for personal use. All right? It had to be exactly according to the pattern the Lord commanded. So there was a, they said, these are the spices you use in exact compartments, and nobody else is able to use this in the exact formula for anything else except for this. Very specific. All right? Now, when Aaron's sons changed the formula, guess what happened to them? So when it says they, the uncertified what, what it, all it was was that they were changing the recipe. They were changing the recipe of what God had ordered in this specific case. All right? I personally think the reason for, the, for this is that, and this is my opinion, the fragrance has a very powerful capacity to interlock memory and experience. Okay? So each time a person would smell that smell, it would remind a person of the temple of God. So that's what I think that the reason for it. So there was a very specific type of smell that was given to them because it interlocks you. If you have a smell of something, it interlocks into your memory. So now all of a sudden, every time you smell that, it reminds you that this is the place of God. Okay, so that's why I believe it was. And when you change that formula, all right, then it's different. I remember when, I mean, I mean, certain things have a certain type of smell. When I was at Cornerstone, you know, it, it's a big church and it's got certain carpeting and stuff like that. And it has a certain smell. And every time I'd go there in the morning, guess what it would do? If I smelt that smell, I'd say, this smells like the place of God. Church. It smells like it. It interlocks into your memory. Now, that's why I believe that they use the specific fragrance. All right? It's composition. Now you're gonna, I'll tell you why this is important afterwards. The time when it should be offered, Exodus 37. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamp at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generation. So twice a day it should be offered in the morning and at dusk. All right, and remember, we're dealing with symbols here that mean something that God wants to communicate. So, let's move on. And when we get to this, and another angel came and stood at the altar with golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints, and on the golden altar before the throne, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Whew. So when we look back into the Old Testament... This is what happens. The, the Jews went completely wrong because they focused their attention on the utensils and the, scent, the, the incense and not what it symbolized. Now, I know this because I grew up in a certain tradition where we did exactly this. Church that I belong to, this is what they did every Thursday. Incense. Replication of what was in the Old Testament. Now, 
Why do we do it? Why, what was the symbolizing? They forgot. The Jews forgot what it was about. They became very particular about doing exactly what they were supposed to do. But they, they didn't know what this was about. They had no revelation of what it meant. We see the revelation here in, 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 in Revelation. So the incense, in my opinion, could stand for the deeds of the saints. Why do I say that? Ephesians 5.2 says, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Okay, Philippians 4.18 I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So here we see what the incense symbolizes. It symbolizes something of the believer's life. And then, of course, prayers equals prayers. Mark eleven seventeen says, And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? So the fragrance of the believer that comes up before God are their deeds and their prayers. That's what they are. So that's what's floating up to the heavenlies. Floating up before the throne room of the Father and filling up that censer. It's the deeds of the saints and their prayers. So the fragrance of the believer that comes up before God are their deeds and their prayers. And you and I, brothers and sisters, must ask this question continually. What is the fragrance of my life that goes up before God? What does God smell? Before him from your life. What of your life is in that golden censer? Think about it for a moment. What does God smell? Think about that. The fragrance of your life goes up before the Father. What does that smell like? If we think of the incense offered by Aaron twice daily, it may leave us with a challenge as to our prayer life. Do we pray daily? I was struck by that, thinking, tying the two together. Because remember, God's got a pattern. What was the pattern of Aaron? In the morning, he would offer incense. And in the evening at dusk, he would offer incense. Maybe the Jews did get it right because they had morning and evening prayers. Maybe that was the thing that it's speaking about over here. Very powerful. So you see, it is very important to actually take, take stock of where you're at and what your life represents and what rises up before the Father. What does he smell? Is there any prayers going up to him? Is it prayer on an occasion? Is it prayer only when you're in desperate need? Or is it prayers that are offered out of the first one that says this, because we loved, because he loved, he showed us. He sacrificed himself, not for himself, but for others. So are our prayers focused on when we're in need, or are they focused on our brothers and sisters in Christ that we're actually lifting up in prayer? Are we very intently interested in prayer when it's something that relates to us and our family? Or are we praying for the people that God has called us to be otherly to? In other words, it's outside of ourselves. It's not about us. It's about His people. You know, the one thing that Jesus is going to say when He comes, it comes and He divides the sheep from the goats. Now, that's a very frightening scripture that. I don't know if you know. He says, okay, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. On the one side, the sheep, the other side, the goats. And he says, 
to the one side and the sheep, and the sheep says to me, come, enter my rest. Because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. All those things. And then the other ones are going to say, when I was hungry, you never fed me. But Lord, didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do that? So these people believed they were believers, but they were doing everything for themselves. And let me just remove something from you. This is not about feeding the poor. This is about your brothers and sisters in Christ. He doesn't say what you did to all the poor. He said to the least of my brethren. What did you do to my brethren? And, and let me tell you when, you, when you are part of a community like us, your brethren matter not on occasion, but continually. Don't we? You know, it's easy to, to offer up a sacrifice once in a while of good works. But it's hard if you have to really care for people. You know, when you, when you take on the responsibility of a puppy or a, a kitty or a, one of those things, that's like taking on a responsibility. You know, I, I love to touch animals. It's nice to go and pet the kids, kitty and the, the doggy in the kennel. I love it. But I can leave it. There's another thing if you bring that cat or the dog home. You see, that's the difference. That's what God's called us to. So what is the fragrance of your life? What is going up before the Father continually? And maybe we need to sort of readjust and say, Lord, am I, am I really praying the way I should be praying? Or do I just remember you on occasion? Ask yourself the question. Is incense going up before the Lord? So that's our responsibility. That's what God has called us to. And then what happens is phenomenal. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and earthquake. Now when we're speaking about spiritual warfare, often we don't equate the two of what our lives are like and what our prayers are like. And the fact that it has an impact on the spiritual all right? But it does. A huge impact. A huge impact. One, when we think we notice about the book of Revelation, one thing that we, no, we notice about the book of Revelation is the scene behind the scene. You know? The, the, the book of Revelation is the scene behind the scene. Most of us are thinking about this scene, but not about the scene that's behind the scene. When we read the book of Revelation, we realize, oh, wait a minute, there's some things happening here. There's like some major stuff that is happening that we don't see. Because that's the scene behind the scene. All right? 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4 says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Perhaps the greatest marker of unbelief is the veil of unbelief that is pulled down over the minds of people so that they don't see the scene behind the scene. So what does the God of this world does? You know, we know, any one of us know, man, Satan walks into the room and we see him, he's not got a chance. He ain't got no chance. Once we see him, He's done. Because we have the authority of heaven behind us. So he ain't going to come walking into the room with horns and everything like that. He's going to come up, guys, different ways. All right? We've got to know that, that there is a scene behind the scene. Believers and unbelievers alike, he prevents them from viewing spiritually. And focuses them on the earthly. That's what he does. That's the book of Revelation, that's what it removes away from you. It starts to unfold the scene behind the scene. That's why it's so important to read it. That's why it's so important to read it. All of a sudden we take it into the fact that 
Whoa, that's why many Christians, they look at it and they say, whoa, I don't know what's going on here. Whoa, we see this army in heaven. We see these angels. We say, whoa, man, this is too much for me. Because it's a scene behind the scene. But you have to read it as a believer so that you know that there is a scene behind the scene. Otherwise, the devil is going to get you to concentrate on this scene and ignore that scene. And if you concentrate on this scene and ignore that scene, guess what? You're done. There's not going to be an overcoming believer who doesn't know that that scene's happening. So that's why we, it's very, very important. If anything, the book of Revelation blows the lid off. It's the unbelief to show the real conflict, which is spiritual. It is spiritual. That is the most important thing. And I'm going to close with two comments. And then we're done. In everything in your life, in everything, you must look firstly at the spiritual source. Always. You have to look at the spiritual source. That's why when James says, Woe to you, you say, I'm going to go to this city this day, go to that city next day, go to that city. Why? Now, maybe it's good to go to those cities. It may be good to go and do those things. But what is he saying? He says, No. This is not up to you. You're seeing things in an earthly fashion. He says, if it's the Lord's will. In other words, the source. Where's the source of your direction in life? Where are you going in life? Who's the source? Is it your personal desire? Well, the devil will lead you by your personal desire if it's concentrated on here. He knows he's got you. You've got to know from God what God is saying in any very specific uh, situation, all right? Is it the enemy or is it the Lord? Conflict. Now we can go, and I'm, I'm a proponent of conflict resolution. There's ways that we can resolve conflict much better. The Bible teaches us. It says, don't go to your neighbor. First, go to the person first. Very practical thing, very real thing. Okay? So very, there's several mechanisms that help us in resolving conflict. All right? And God has put it in place. But the one thing you must remember is the source of conflict. The source of conflict. You've got to understand that the devil is out to divide and destroy. And if we don't understand that, guess what happens? We start aiming at the wrong place. We start to only see things here physically. And I know many people have not been able to get out of certain situations because they're concentrating on trying to fix them physically. And some of that physical thing is vitally important. But without the spiritual understanding that actually prayer and what I do in my life has an impact on whether I'm going to get out of this conflict or not, sometimes we're stuck. Get unstuck. Look at what's behind it. Very, very important. Sin has both a spiritual root and a spiritual consequence. Bondage to the enemy. So if and anybody that's been caught in any kind of trap of sin will understand it's an exacting thing. It's an exacting thing. The devil wants you to be bound. That's clear. That's what he wants. He wants you to be bound by sin, by sinful patterns. That's what he wants. So he tempts you. Once he's tempted and you give in to that temptation, then he binds you. Then he binds you. So when we're trying to get rid of it, now... Jesus paid the price for all our sin, as we heard. It's a very important. Two words came today. They are exactly that. Jesus has removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. All right? Once we acknowledge that sin, it's covered by his blood. But even then, once it's covered by his blood, the devil doesn't let go easily. From my experience. That's been done, but there's still work to be done. And the focus is often in the spiritual realm. It requires a calling out to God. It requires a 
pressing in and praying and calling on heaven to actually make this happen. So we see this first thing. So we may, may understand this. We have to always look at the spiritual source. And then secondly, prayers. This is very important. Prayers are directed up, not down. <laughs> prayers are directed up. You filling that sensor up there. And then at a stage, God acts. He says, it's full. I believe, I believe this principle is so vital. We see it first coming out in, a, in, a, in, in the, the children of Israel. Children of Israel in bondage. Okay? So they didn't go after Pharaoh. What did they do? They called out to God. And so then what happens? God sends them a deliverer, Moses. He says, okay, I'm going to go and rescue them. Exactly what's happening here. This is exactly what's happening. The prayers go up before God. And you'll be patiently praying for maybe years. But you're patiently praying. All right, there's no breakthrough. There's no breakthrough. But all of a sudden, because you're continually praying, you're continually living your life in obedience to Christ. Because it doesn't always happen straight away. In fact, most often, it takes time. In my experience, with people, with myself, with everybody that I know, it takes time. You have to persevere in calling out to the Lord and living a righteous life. And then eventually, what happens? Just like it happens over here, it happens with the individual's life. It's in that bowl, and then the, devil, the, the angel says, Right, Satan, this is coming down on your head right now. Wow. I wish we could see it. I wish you could see it. I wish you could see it. There's some of you that are faithful prayers here, and breakthroughs have come in your life and other people's lives, but you sort of haven't seen in heaven that's going to be like a movie. And he's going to say, You remember that time? You remember that time you were struggling financially? You found it very difficult. You were in a tight circumstance. You didn't know how you were going to get it. You were super worried. You were up at night. You were praying. You were calling out to me. And you didn't think it was going to come through. You thought, this is it. It's not happening. But your prayers are continually going up to heaven. And you patiently are just for continually praying and, and accessing heaven. And that incense is rising. That incense is rising, man. It's filling that bowl. And we're going to look back, and then all of a sudden you get the breakthrough. The financial supply comes through, the healing comes, whatever it may be. It, all of a sudden it comes, and you think, but I started praying like a year ago, and it's only come through now. When, this, when we started the church, that's what it was like for us. We come here, and we plant the church. There was times of, of, of not sleeping, praying. Praying, praying, praying. I and I remember, I remember the exact morning breakthrough came. There was a morning when all the resources that we had were depleted. And then one morning, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And exactly in that morning, something happened that just like broke everything. So I'm thinking, well, why did it take so long? Because that's the way it works. In the kingdom. Now, you don't see it now, but in heaven, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to go to heaven one day, and he's going to say, let's show a movie of that time. I'll say, yes, let's see it. And we're going to be praying, and the devil is going to be holding on. I'm not blessing, and not blessing. I'm just going to hold on. I'm going to keep it. And the Lord's saying, okay, let's develop the endurance of my saint. Strengthen him. That's what he's done. That's what he's doing. You've got to know that. Because you don't see it now. Develop him. Develop him. He's strengthening. He's strengthening. Just leave it. The pressure's on. The devil's got him. But that's okay. Pharaoh's bound him. That's okay. And we just develop. Let's get, let, let him develop that, that continually praying and calling out to God, calling out to God, calling out to God. 
We're going to look one day and we're going to see that circumstance. We're going to see the devil, what he's doing over there. And then he's going to say, right. Then the Lord says, now's the time. Angel, take that incense. Whack him. And all of a sudden, there's a release. That's the way it works, guys. It's the way it works. Don't buy into this instantaneous coffee sensation thing that we have. Where you actually feel, one week I haven't been healed, two weeks I haven't been healed, three weeks I haven't got the breakthrough, or four weeks I haven't got the breakthrough. Don't buy that junk. Because it's junk Christianity. Instantaneous stuff. Nobody teaches you about endurance. Endurance is what you have to have. It took 400 years before those Israelites were delivered. If you look throughout history and people's lives, it takes time for things to break through. But it will break through if you persevere, if you endure. If anything this, this will teach us is that it takes time. But do not give up giving your lives over to God and praying. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. So every time you do something that is of a godly consequence, don't give up. Don't, as it says, it says as we see the draw nag, constantly, constantly encourage one another to love and good works. Constantly. Bear with one another. Don't, as I said, don't give into this like me culture. Give yourself to love and good works. It's going up before the Father in incense, and it'll have a tremendous effect in your life. Breakthrough is coming, but endure. Endure. Continue in faith. Don't give up. It's coming. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Prince. Over to you, brother. Hallelujah. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, verse 35, it says, So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. We don't give up. Hallelujah. Let's rise up on our feet. Oh, man, that was a good word. What have you been believing for? Don't give up. Don't throw it away. Some of you are just this close to getting it. And you're just about to turn your back and walk away from everything you've been waiting for. Just stay there with the Lord. Be like Elijah. Pray. You see a little feast. You know, pray till you see that feast. Until it becomes a mighty country. It rains. Don't give up. I'm just going to ask you to bow your hand and just say, Lord, thank you. Lord, I don't want to give up. I don't know what you've been believing. I know there are people. I know some people have been praying with them. <laughs> We've been praying, you know. And we're beginning to see that feast forming in the atmosphere, you know. Just, we're beginning to see it. Some of, some of you, the feast is not even there. You're not seeing it yet. But don't give up. Just talk to God again. That specific thing you've been believing for, I just feel like, I just want to latch onto that. I just sense God is really speaking to his people about not giving up. You know? Maybe because of what you've been passing through, you felt like your life, there's been a delay in all the things that you wanted to do. But don't give up. Don't cast away your confidence. Don't cast it away. The Bible says it has great recompense of reward. It has a lot of reward that comes with it. Don't cast it away. Why do you think the devil is constantly at you, telling you it's not going to work, it's not going to work, it's not going to work, forget it, forget it? It's because he knows it's going to work. He knows if you stay there, that that cup is getting to a point where, like God said to the, uh, to the angel, uh, to um, uh, Michael, go help that angel, get that thing to Daniel, you know. It's coming. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just want to pray for everybody. Thank you for that word. Thank you for all that encouragement from your word. Lord, I just want to pray that we will all stand and we will, we will not give up on the things you're speaking to us. 
Lord, I pray that we will not give up, that you will strengthen our resolve. And, for, and Lord, I'm asking that these things will come speedily in the name of Jesus. We speak and we declare a breakthrough. We release angelic spirits to minister for us heirs of salvation right now. Just receive it where you are. Say, Lord, I receive. Tap into it. It could be for your healing. It could be for your finances. It could be just for your children, your family, for your marriage. Whatever it be. It could be even for school, for those of you that are students. Or just a release of uh, just that you want to do well, you've kind of struggled. It could be for your health, your mind, whatever it is. Lord, we release it right now. Thank you, dear Lord. Thank you, dear Lord. That we release it right now. Everything that has fought you, we release it. We, we declare in the name of Jesus. We prophesy into that situation. Release. Let go right now. And Lord, let it come. Thank you, dear Lord. Praise you, Jesus. I'm just, I just want to say a prayer for us as a church, Liberty Church, because we have persevered. We've persevered. And we must continue to persevere, brothers and sisters, in patience. For the Lord wants to break open this city, break open this country. And it takes time. Don't let the time that it takes discourage you. Persevere. Lord, we persevere. As a church, Lord God, we committed to persevering. We will endure till your return. We will endure until we see the city broken open, Lord God. We will endure. We will endure. We will not step back. We will not step. We will not become... Lazy or complacent, Lord Jesus. We will be a church that will remain on fire calling out to you, Lord God. No matter how long it takes, we will pray. We will persevere. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.